following program is closed captioned for the thinking impaired. All systems go. Prepare to be astonished. You can't handle the truth. You should fully expect the unexpected. You are now tuned into the boiler room with your host, Omar Figo Binu and Nathan Kalasho. Hey guys. Hey guys, am I talking to myself? Hey. Hey, Obi. Okay, that's better. I thought you were talking to the listeners. No, uh, I'm talking to you like I usually do in the intro of the show. Pay more attention, please. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. What's, uh, how's everybody's week been? It's been okay for me. Sun is out. Guns are out. It's been nice so far. Guns? Guns. Your guns? My guns. Oh. Are you talking about pistols or your biceps? Both. Okay. Do you have a pistol? I don't have a pistol. Man, I did you see did you hear what happened? Um on I think it was a school campus. Uh it was either today or yesterday, where a guy started um open carrying a pistol, like right outside of school. Cops came and he refused to leave, he said that he was well within his rights to carry the open pistol in front of the school. You hear about that? No, where was this at? I want to say it was somewhere on the east side. It was um, here in Michigan? Yeah, it was here in Michigan. And this is the second incident. And I believe today in Ann Arbor, they're having a hearing on whether or not students should be allowed to open carry on campus. So, kind of crazy stuff over here. Wow. That's... uh. I think well, that's I think that's just a bunch of douchebaggeryness. That's a word. People people who are up on who are so uh, pro pro gun rights, they're just trying to uh, use this as leverage. So, do you think he has a legitimate case? I don't. What's the point of open carrying at a school? Yeah, or in front of a school. What's the point of that? Are you trying to? to are, what's the point? Are you intimidating others from not doing anything? If that's the case, why would you even want to show your hand? Is that that's that's the way I look at it? I don't know. If I'm if I'm uh, carrying at a uh, a place like like that, then you're doing it for one reason, which is you want to. You know, you've heard probably a number of stories, school shootings, it's that, and. You're there to protect either a loved one or other innocent people. If you're going to do that, then what's the point of showing your hand? You're, you're showing people what you have. I'm thinking, thinking it's called attention, Nathan. Exactly. It's just a bunch of douchebagness, is what it is. Yeah, there you so go. That's, yeah, that's the way I look at it. Because if, I mean, why on earth the fir- the first person that who will be attacked is the guy who's open carrying, right? Exactly. So I mean, you, you lose your. Uh, you lose whatever advantage you had in the first place. Rafid, were you going to say something? No, I was not. I just don't get into all that gun stuff. I'm me neither. I, it I just don't does like not that. interest me. Either way, I think uh, civil people should have the right to carry a gun. That's I, it. I'm Keep civil. it on you for self-defense. But you know what the problem but is, Rafid? Stop promoting it. Stop making it a big deal. You know what I'm saying? Rafid, you know what the problem is? What, what, who determines civil? I mean, look. Do you, know, do you understand that the mental health uh, 
kid. Well, it's it's very in terms of what, what's civil or who's civil and who's not. It's it's entire entirely um, something that's been so far fetched, so hard to determine that it's gotten to a point where there needs to be more regulations put it, put in place. There you go. I was just going to say that. You know what? Not anybody can be a doctor. Not anybody can be a cop. Not anybody can be anything. They have rules, regulations, tests, examinations. I know I owned a gun years ago when I had a store in Detroit. I've never used a gun, never knew how to use a gun. I just used it as a deterrent. I honestly didn't even know you had to clean that gun until one of my employees had we, mentioned it to me. Yeah. We, uh, when I used to leave the store or come in, I used to always make sure that people see can see it. It was visible just to be as a deterrent because a lot of people in those areas, that's what they understood. Anyway, so what do we have for our show today, Omar? We got a very interesting show lined up. Um, <clears throat> as a lot of people know, uh, there's been a lot of... There's been a lot of uh, controversy uh, coming out of California. There's been a lot of uh, rumors, uh, misunderstandings, um, you know, both both regarding the uh, Bishop Bishop Sadha Jammu's um, the whole issue with with the ten priests being ordered to go home back to Iraq by the patriarch, um, as well as there are some some uh, theological differences that uh, the bishop has uh, with the patriarch as well. Um, and and you know this this really escalated Nathan and and Rafid you know once this this situation with ISIS started because of course then the whole issue came out of you know Exodus and Haven and whatnot and then which is what the California Church supposedly are were pushing or are still pushing for an Exodus for all the displaced people in Iraq correct well that's why we brought on uh, you know we we have a special guest on the show today. Right, but uh, hold on, Omar. Is that the misconception you think? Is that because a lot of people were fired up? Is it a misconception or is it the truth? Maybe Nathan can share a little bit on that. I mean, I I know as much as everybody else. I I don't know if it's a misconception. I don't know if it's what if it was uh, misguidance. I'm not really sure. All I know is at the height of what happened back home. You had one group in you know the church in San Diego that was advocating something that the patriarch was not advocating for, and you had um, uh, the patriarch come out and take a firm stance on some of these things, and then you had uh, the bishop in San Diego take a, uh, a different stance, a, a difference. Um, so. I know. Course, as usual, we, we want to hear from the from our listeners to call in uh, with questions or comments at three four seven eight five seven three eight four seven. That's three four seven eight five seven three eight four seven. And um, uh, without further ado, uh, we want to bring our guest uh, on the show, who is uh, Shamasha Raith Ishaqi from the uh, California Archdiocese. Shamasha, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Omar. Can you hear me very well? Hello. Yeah, we can. Hello, how are you? Uh, this is Rafi Yaldu, along with Nathan Kalashio and Omar Benno. How are you, Shamasha? Hello, Shana. how are you, Thank you so much. Shalom Thank you so much. Thank you so much. First, I want to hold on. First, I want to say, um, I know it's not until next month, but congratulations on your son uh, becoming a priest or being ordained 
as a priest next month. Oh and, wow, that's I did not know that. Good. Yes, it's um, a lot of our uh, uh, clergy are going to be attending. I wish I could, but I I have a lot of obligations. Is, so is the congratulations in advance. God bless them. Thank you. Yes. Okay, ordinations. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Robert. Of course. And uh, I just want to say that this is a monumental event for our diocese. It's the first ordination, priestly ordination in our diocese, which is relatively young. It's about 12 years old, and this is the first priestly ordination uh, of His Excellency Bishop Sarhad Jammu, and the first fruit. The first two seminarians, which will be ordained, Deacon Ankido Sipo and Deacon Simon Ishapi, uh, will be ordained Chaldean Catholic priests, both of them American-born. And the first fruit of the first Chaldean seminary outside Iraq ever, which was established by, uh, by His Excellency Bishop Sarhad Jammu, and the rector of this seminary is someone you should all know who is uh, Father Andrew Yonan, who grew up uh, in Michigan and was a student of uh, His Excellency Bishop Sarah Jammu since he was three years old at St. Uh, Joseph. His father is still uh, a deacon there, Shemash Aqais Yonan, and his sister Christina is very active. He is the rector of the seminary, and uh, he has been just a blessing to all of us. And uh, God we bless look forward. We look forward to that day. It's April 10th. Pray for us. It's the Friday after uh, after Easter, and we look forward to uh, many people from Michigan joining us. Great, beautiful. Shamasha, um, tell us, uh, give us some background on yourself. How long have you been with the diocese, and uh, and how long have you been, you know, a deacon? Thank you so much, uh, Omar. First of all, I want to thank you, Omar, and uh, thank Crawford and Nathan. What you guys are doing is just amazing. You know, uh, Chaldeans and Chaldean Americans who are selflessly serving your community with this, whether this program or all that you're doing for the refugees and for your people. And Rafid, I follow your activity, and man, your 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 efforts humble us all. What you're doing is just unbelievable. With your threats to Iraq, putting yourself in danger. I mean, a lot of us support by our prayers, by maybe by our money, but you actually traveled there, and I, and I think you stayed for months, and I've been watching you, so I just wanted to thank you on behalf of a lot of people I know who really appreciate your efforts. So thank, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Shamasha. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. It's a team effort. Absolutely. Thank you again. Thank you. And so about myself, I uh, I basically um, immigrated to America. Thank God, you know, my dad um, immigrated to America and brought us when I was 16 years old uh, in 1978, in the summer of 1978. Uh, My dad had a high government position in the government of Saddam Hussein, but was pressured to uh, join the Ba'ath Party, and when he refused, he was basically fired. And at that time, he told me that, my son, there, a, a day will come when these people are nothing but a bunch of gangster and, the, and gangsters, and they will destroy this country. So since 1978, he had the vision, and he, he took us out of uh, the country. And uh, When I was 16, and my brother and sister were younger than me, as 
that most of the Chaldeans who are in America, Australia, but mainly the ones who started in Michigan and then in San Diego, left because, you know, they saw a better life and they saw what was happening in the country. So that's in the 78. So basically, uh, just to give you a little bit about my background, uh, I started here before we even had a church in San Diego. And His Excellency Bishop Ibrahim, uh, when he came, he was a priest. He was still a priest. He came here to San Diego. It was his uh, the late father, Potros Ketula. And myself and Bishop Ibrahim started the first Chaldean catechism class in San Diego back in 1978. And uh, we rented, Bishop Ibrahim took initiative. We rented a room at Holy Trinity Church, a Catholic church in El Cajon. And I used to go with him, and uh, many of our students now are married. Some of them are, you know, children. I mean, they have children and grandchildren. So, so that's how far back I go and worked very closely, of course, with Bishop Ibrahim. When he was a bishop, he moved to Michigan when he became bishop and uh, worked with Father Michael Bazi all these years um, until, of course, we met. His Excellency Bishop Sarhad Jammu in uh, in 2002 when uh, our diocese started, and uh, um, I've been working with him. And in, in 2006, December 8, 2006, the feast of the Immaculate Conception, I was ordained a permanent deacon um, in the Chaldean Church uh, by the laying of hands of His Excellency. And the person who taught me a lot of theology and philosophy and Chaldean liturgy is uh, the first American-born Chaldean priest, Father Andrew Yonan, whom, whom, who is someone that we all love dearly. Uh, so uh, I studied under Bishop Sarhad and Father Andrew Yonan, and uh, I've been serving the altar, and I also volunteer to do marriage preparation, marriage counseling, youth ministry, you know, in addition to serving the altar on Saturday and Sundays, and many other activities, you know, the Knights of Columbus, the parish council, and many other activities, as are hundreds and thousands of Chaldeans, you know, we are, we're, we're all one people, and we uh, serve our church selflessly, and there's nothing like it, it's heaven on earth, you know, thank God, we're uh, Christian, we're Catholic, we're Chaldean. That's uh, that's great. That's uh, great to hear that, Shamasha. That's, uh, really, really quick, Shamasha. What month in 1978? Because that's the year I came to America also. August 8th, 1978 is when I landed in America. <laughs> oh, mine was, was uh, July 10th. July 10th. Yeah, or one month before me, I had finished high school here, actually, in Alcone Valley. Uh, I dropped out of high school in America. <laughs> I'd never have guessed. <laughs> of, of all dropouts, of, of, of all dropouts, our servant leaders like you, Rasid, you know, I would love them all. Thank you so much for the kind words. It's very humbling. So, Shamasha, what's um, you know, let's get down to to what's been going on in California. Um, <laughs> you know, with with the church, the, with the diocese there, uh, between the bishop uh, and the patriarch. Um, in terms of the priest going home and also the, the, the difference in liturgical and theological uh, differences? Sure. Yeah, I can shed some light on it and feel free to ask me, stop me, ask me any questions. Um, and, uh, you know, first of all, I just have to say that our diocese is one of the most vibrant 
and spiritually and culturally enriching dioceses in all of the Catholic Church. Honestly, I say that with a lot of confidence. And I, I, many Chaldean Americans who are in San Diego and in other parts of our diocese, which is very geographically dispersed over multiple states, uh, can, can attest to that. You know, we have an amazing spiritual and liturgical renewal since the advent of, uh, of Bishop Serhad, who picked up where, where, where His Excellency Bishop Ibrahim uh, left off, and he uh, put a lot of time and effort into our diocese. We loved working with him, and then Bishop Serhad picked up. And um, we have, you know, just... I'll give you just one example. I'll, I'll mention many examples later, but, you know, you, we're in San Diego, so there is a, a Latin Rite Diocese, the Diocese of San Diego. You're in Michigan. There is a Latin, you know, Detroit, the Detroit Diocese. You know, Bishop Vigneron is the, is the bishop. And so the, just to give you an example, the San Diego Latin Rite Diocese has over a million Catholics and over 105 churches, Okay. They have 13 seminarians because one of the things, one of the performance metrics, you know, when you have a job, you have performance metrics. One of the performance metrics for a bishop is the number of vocations that come to the priesthood and the religious life out of that diocese. So we in San Diego are about 30 to 40,000 people, okay? We, only, we have only two churches in San Diego. We have other churches in other uh, states, northern, southern California, Deacon, I'm sorry, Nevada. You, Deacon, I'm sorry to cut you short. How many people did you say? In San Diego, about between thirty to 40,000. But the Chaldean? rest of the people, Chaldeans, the rest I've heard, of the I've, diocese is 70 to 100. All of the diocese is about 70 to 100,000. So, so all, you're all telling of me there's only 30 to... I'm sorry to cut you off. 30 to 40,000 Chaldeans live in San Diego? That's my estimate, yeah. I don't think it's more than 40. Really? Unless, what, what, what have you heard? I don't know. 70 to 80,000? That's, that's, I think, all of the diocese, which includes L.A., Northern California, Arizona, Nevada. Most of them are San Diego. So it's probably, maybe by now it is 50. But let's say, for the sake of this argument, let's say 50,000. Okay. To give you the to uh, so just to give you a comparison by ratio of people, we have ten seminarians and eleven on the way. Uh, wow. I'm sorry, two others, two others on the way. I'm sorry, two others, ten seminarians. So imagine God million God. Catholics, a hundred churches, million Catholics, a hundred churches in the San Diego diocese, Latin Rite. They have only thirteen seminarians. Jeez. We have, have only few. Few ten thousand Chaldeans, we have ten seminarians, two on the way, and this year, 2015, His Excellency Bishop Sarah Jammu will ordain four new Chaldean American priests. Wow! God bless. That is amazing. That's impressive. So that, so is that just tells you this is only one. This is only one example of. The, what's happening in our diocese, and there is so much other stuff related to liturgical renewal, the, the prayer books. Like we, uh, the, you know, the whole Chaldean liturgy has been translated into English. We pray, I pray with even my grandchildren, the Sapra, Slota Sapra, and Slota Dramsha, morning and evening prayers. The same way our 
forefathers have been saying it since the time that St. Thomas evangelized the people of Mesopotamia, you know, the wow. Chaldeans and the Assyrians. We, uh, we, you know, there's a book called the Emmanuel Book. I don't know if you, if you know about it. Um, you know, it was published in 2013. There were many books before that, but this is basically the whole Chaldean liturgy, all of the prayers, the beautiful prayers. So anyway, th- there is so much. Then you have Marbawe, you know, the, the conversion, his conversion, and many Assyrians, you know, becoming Catholic. We have uh, the new order of nuns that is creating great spiritual renewal retreats. You know, the Emmaus retreat. You, ha- you, have, you guys have the Emmaus retreat in Michigan, right? For the youth, this has produced so many spiritual fruits. But anyway, I don't want to keep going on that. I just want to say that we have one of the most vibrant and spiritually enriching and culturally enriching dioceses in the entire world, and we expect we expect to be attacked. Uh, attacked. I mean, the devil doesn't like what's happening in this diocese. Honestly, you know, we have so many vocations. The devil wants to destroy the priesthood, wants to destroy the church. And when you have a diocese, a young, relatively young diocese, producing so many vocations to the priesthood and the religious life, you know, the, the, the Satan is not going to be happy. You know, so, so that part of the attack on our people is, this is a spillover, as, as Omar mentioned in the beginning, and I totally agree. What happened, the, the tragic exodus, ethnic cleansing and genocide of our people and other minorities like the Yazidis, you know, the Christians of Iraq. That was a satanic attack on our people, on the church, you know, the destruction of churches, the burning of manuscripts, all of that stuff. That kind of spilled over. It spilled over to, to, uh, to create divisions within the church, you know. And, and I have to say another thing is that for you and for the listeners, the... This, you know, differences between church fathers is nothing new. Even in the, in the Word of God, in the Bible, in the New Testament, specifically the Lord put, put it there for us to witness that there were differences even between St. Peter and St. Paul about the issue of circumcision of the new believers. So, and the issues are resolved in due process, in due time, and the Lord established a church on the successor, on his vicar, St. Peter, and the apostles, and their successors with time have developed a system of rules, which we call canon law, and there is, you know, it's, it's nothing new. The different, there is differences that you hear about between His Excellency Bishop Sarhad, His Beatitude, Mar Luis Saku. This is nothing new. I mean, as you know probably, and maybe your listeners, I, I know many people don't even know the history there were even greater differences between Marsaku himself when he was Bishop of Kirkuk and our late patriarch, his, his eminence, Cardinal Emmanuel Delhi. You know, I don't know if you guys knew that or not. So the fact, no. you know, that there might be some differences is nothing new. And, and what we need to do is pray for the church. You know, I have to mention one, one, one story, little story. Pope John Paul I, who stayed uh, Pope for only about a month, there is a, a famous story about him, is that a young uh, man, a uh, young boy, Luigi, was sitting on his lap, and he asked him a question. He said, Luigi, when, you know, I, I forgot his name, 
but he, he said, when, when the church, the church is your mother. If your mother is sick, your mom, would you, would you insult her and beat her up and push her around, or would you love her and take care of her? He said, the church is your mother. Church sometimes goes through difficult times. What the believers, what all of us need to do is we need to calm down and pray for the church and let our church fathers will resolve their differences in due time. There has been so many attacks on our priests, on our bishops. It has created a lot of scandal. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the uh, communiques that were published on the Patriarchate website Honestly, I mean, with great pain, I say this. I don't know who's writing them or uh, who's advising uh, his, his, his beatitudes. Have created a lot of scandal. We had people here disrupt masses. In the middle of mass, somebody would get up and start screaming at the priest. They did not wow. even know that this is against California law. Wow. And, you know, so so this is the and, and our priests have been going through a lot of persecution um, for the last year and a half. This is not new since the the communique about the, the priests came out. So 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 just you know, I don't know if you have any questions at this point, or should I keep explaining the uh, the chronology of what uh, Deacon, happened? Deacon, I think yeah. the difference the difference here is that. Um, you know, people outside of the church, people like uh, me, for example, um, it's it hasn't been hard to find out what's going on because everything has been publicized. So exactly, uh, whether whether it be the patriarch um, and whoever's running his his social networks or whoever's running his press releases, or whether it be um, whoever's uh, speaking on behalf of the, the diocese in San Diego. Everything has been publicized. There's been back and forth, and it's been in the news, which is very, very unfortunate. I mean, there's there's American news agencies who have been reporting yeah. on this yeah. on the division within our church between San Diego and 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 uh, and uh, the Patriarch of Babylon. So this is the the ultimate difference here between what the difference now and the difference, for example with uh, Patriarch Sacco before he was the Patriarch, with the former Patriarch Delhi, is that now it's spilled over into uh, a media blitz on um, on this whole deal. So this is what I think has angered a lot of people in the community, or it has caused confusion with a lot of people in the community. And people in Detroit were sort of like, okay, what do we, you know, what's going on here? What do we do? Because we've been... uh, sort of neutral at this point in terms of uh, which stance should we take and um, how do we avoid uh, further disputes? Yeah. Like, if you notice, there hasn't been any public statements or written statements from His Excellency Bishop Sarhad at all. There might be other people, you know, writing on keldai.net, their own opinions, whatever, but on the diocesan website, which is keldu.org, K-A-L-D-U.org, there has not been not a single statement from His Excellency Bishop Sarah Jammu. Um, so, basically, just to give you a little bit of the history, um, the, the, as I mentioned, you know, I'm not going to dwell a lot on the past differences, but there has been much, you know, the differences go back, way back before this 
invasion of ISIS and, and, the, and the persecution of our people. The, the, the differences go way back to Cardinal Delhi, to even uh, Patriarch Bidawit. And uh, it's normal. You know, it's, it makes the church stronger over time, and it should not put doubt in our hearts. We must pray and love the church all time, at all times. And we are the church. You know, when there are differences, when there are problems with, with the clergy, we, by the way, the church is not just the clergy. We are the church. What are we doing? We must ask ourselves. You guys are awesome. You guys are doing great service. You're doing great. Uh, we need to do more when we, when we see the church is, is in crisis. But anyway, well, there were differences. I think, uh, if I might, if I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off, but just to interject yeah. real quick. I, I think that part of the problem that nowadays is spilled over is because we also, through technology, have a greater access to information. So, exactly. back, you know, through especially through social media. So back when, back when those differences still existed, it wasn't as great. You know, social media wasn't around a lot of time, and so it, you didn't have the chance for it for it to spill over. So now, I think I think that because it's it it uh it has spilled over you know because of social media and and other methods other avenues that's why i think it's good to have a discussion like this you know just to just so even though the, the bishop doesn't want to make a, a statement but it's still i think important to hear from the bishop's camp from people like yourself just so that rumors don't get spread around, so there's no misconceptions, there are no misunderstandings and things like also, that. Also, another thing, Deacon, is that, um, yeah. you know, Mark, Mark Adabu, who is a friend of mine, um, I respect him a lot, he was designated as he was designated as the spokesman, right, of the diocese in San Diego? No, no, there was no formal designation. He was a, He's a volunteer, he's a great guy, he's doing a lot of good service for the community, and he, because of his activity, started being asked by the media to represent and speak up. So he, there was no formal assignment given to him by the diocese. Not that I'm okay. aware of. Who okay, unfairly is really being mistreated, by the way. I just want to add that. Go ahead. Okay, I don't know yeah. what you meant. So you anyway, meant by that, but... a lot of people are criticizing him. Okay, what I'm, what yeah. I, I think, so, I think, so. I think the reason why people thought that maybe he was a spokesman is because he. Uh, he would he would say that he was the spokesman of the of the uh, community there, and you know people saw him a lot with with uh, with the bishop Bishop Sedhead. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think that what the biggest spillover happened in October when uh, Mark said something about how the patriarch is politicizing everything, and I okay, think this so, this, so, was, this so, is what so, began the back yeah. and forth with both. So I think this is the reason yeah, why yeah. It, it spilled over. Yeah, one thing I've discovered recently, now, because this issue I'm so intimately familiar with, so when I yeah. read about it in the media, I laugh, because half yeah. of what's being written about it in the media is simply wrong, honestly. Okay. I've come okay. to lose uh, lose faith in media in general. But anyway, let well, me this just is why we had you on. Some light. We want you to, we want you to clear you. the Thank air you. on things. Thank you. I appreciate it. So, so, so let me give you a little bit of history. So just briefly, we, we go back to... Even, you know, let's say his eminence, Cardinal Emmanuel Delhi, who, who is a saint in my book. I love that man. I grew up with him. I grew up learning at his feet. And uh, there was great opposition to him, especially about the issue of Bishop Bawe Soro, as you, many of you know. Um, few of our bishops in Iraq, especially in the north, boycotted 
Bishop uh, Patriarch Dali's Synod for about five years. They simply refused to meet so that not to vote on the issue of Bishop Tawesoro. Even though Pope Benedict accepted him as a bishop in the Catholic Church and the Patriarch, Patriarch Dali accepted him. So that's one issue, and I don't want to dwell too much on it. That, that's a subject probably for a whole other program. There were differences on the liturgy since, you know, back in 2006, 2007, and finally a liturgical reform was approved by the Congregation of Eastern Churches. It was never implemented in other dioceses. Our diocese, to my knowledge, is the only one who, which implemented that, that liturgical reform. And we had a lot of, you know, also flack about that. Um, but the differences were there. Just to give you another example, and this is not to say anything disrespectful about his, his beatitude, uh, our patriarch. I have utmost love and respect for him, and we all are obedient to him. And all of this nonsense that you hear that we are trying to, uh, you know, be independent, whatever, there's no such thing. There's absolutely no such thing. If there's any bishop who is loyal to the, to the Catholic Church and the, to the patrimony of the Chaldean Church, it's Bishop Sarhad. You go to his office today, he's got a picture of the patriarch in his office, in the entrances and in his office. There was some remodeling and his office moved, and I was wondering if, there, if he was going to put up the picture again. And the picture is sure enough right there in his office. So, so the, but the, let me give you one example. And, you know, I'm not uh, you know, uh, pontificate on, on why there were differences. But Patriarch Saku, his beatitude Patriarch Saku, was Bishop of Kirkuk for 10 years while Patriarch Delhi was uh, Patriarch. But, you know, Bishop Saku at the time never invited Patriarch Delhi to visit the Diocese of Kirkuk. See, many of you don't know these details. Another thing is when Patriarch Delhi in 2007 was installed as a cardinal by Pope Benedict. When he went back to, to, to the Middle East, he was received even by the King of Jordan. When he went to Iraq, and he went to North Iraq, Darbil, the three bishops at the time, you know, Bishop Saku, Bishop Maqdasi, and Bishop Rabban, God bless them, there are bishops who love them and we respect them. They did not come out to receive his eminence, the patriarch. The only bishop that was with him was our martyr, Bishop Rahul, and at the time, Father Bashar Warda, who is now the bishop in Arbil. So just to give you a background, so when people now say, why is Bishop Sarhad this, Bishop Sarhad that, there's a lot of history you know, that people don't know. So let me uh, now go back to what happened about the, when, the, when the invasion of Mosul happened and our people were all displaced. Many people here in San Diego and many of people other places in our diocese came and said, we, our people are in misery, our people are being killed, they are in tents, we want them to come to America. And many civil leaders in our community, including Mark, Dr. Nouri Barka, uh, Kamala Sawaf, there were many, many, many of them. Uh, many, you know, the Ladies of Hope, uh, we have many organizations, Knights of Columbus, Marmicha Group, a lot of organizations, basically got together and said, what should we do? So it was brainstormed. You see, all of this is being blamed on Bishop Sarhad, like encouraging Exodus. There is, it's all nonsense. 
It's the people themselves who wanted the church to do something, who wanted political, Chaldean political leaders to do something. So we thought about it, and we realized, I did not even know, Prophet, I'm sure, and you, Nathan, and Omar, you know more details about this. The American government has a certain quota for refugees from Iraq, which I think is less than 20,000 or something like that. No, so, they have a, a quota. Horrible. They have a general quota of seventy thousand refugees across the world, and they do oh, an the allocation. They do an allocation every year uh, for for people in the Middle East. Okay, so, so how, much is it? how many? How many for Iraq? It, uh, it varies. It varies. It varies. Uh, but, it all but, depends. But I, it I all heard... depends on the. It all depends on the conditions. For example, there are two and a half million displaced in Iraq right now. About. Uh, maybe a one and a half of those are Iraqis, another million are Syrians. But across the border yeah. in Syria, you have seven and a half million people displaced. So it's all going to be about which visas get processed by the UNHCR yeah. in time and things like that. A lot of politics going yeah. into it. Yeah, but I, I heard that the number for all of Iraq, including Muslims, Yazidis, whatever, was less than 20,000. So the idea was, with a discussion, you know, for, for us here, the, the civil leaders, political leaders, servant leaders in the community, it was, we need to ask the American government to increase the quota for Christians. So, but then when we try to approach through people like Mark, uh, who has connections uh, in D.C., is they, we wanted to ask them, and the question was, how would you prove that there is so many people? On what basis do you, are you going to prove, are you going to base that, that you're asking for so many other visas? So well, the idea came up, from civil leaders, based on the demands and the appeal by people, is we're going to put up a form on our website, on our website, and we're going to ask people to fill it out just to see what the response is. Ask people to fill it out and pledge to support their relatives who would come to America um, as refugees. So, uh, sure enough, we put up the form, and we were deluged. By, by requests. We, were, we had people calling us from all over. My own brother-in-law, by the way, is Syriac Orthodox, um, uh, had four families, his sister and, and his nieces, all four families, refugees in the Hawk. He filled it out. And by the way, they, they created a rumor. Some of the followers of some uh, supposedly Christian political parties in Iraq, they were circulating an email that the Chaldean Diocese of St. Peter the Apostle in the West were accepting forms only from Catholics, and they were discriminating against other uh, churches. And I was furious. You know, I was, went ballistic, basically. I said, my own brother-in-law is Syriac Orthodox, and I'm the one who helped him fill out the forms. So would you guys please stop these false rumors? So anyway, we were, we were basically overwhelmed with requests. And we, the people filled out forms for over 50,000, almost <coughs> 50,000 people who wanted to just leave and come to America. So this was not our diocese encouraging exodus. This is people themselves begging, coming, knocking on the church door and saying, help us, help our relatives in Iraq. We need something. So, so we collected all of these forms. Mark, God bless his heart, he's been working very hard on this, arranged a visit in D.C., and Bishop Sarhat went with him. And that apparently did not sit well 
with many leaders in Iraq, including some of our church leaders. If you remember, Yonatan Kenna, who was uh, supposed to be a Christian parliamentarian in Iraq, when, when France opened the doors, basically decided for the Christian refugees, he said that this is interference. He chastised the, the French government because he said this is interference in Iraqi affairs. I was furious over this. I think that statement that he made, and forgive me for being emotional about it, I think it was criminal. People are dying. Our women and children are dying in the streets. And we are just going to dream about a safe haven? What safe haven? You know, what's this pipe dream? All of us living in America, whoever is living in America and San Jose and Chicago and Australia, if they really want the people to stay, they should go there themselves and fight ISIS. You know, because we have a lot of women and children. That's my position, my personal position. If, if, if my children and grandchildren are threatened, I live right here in Alcohol. If they're threatened by some gangs, I'll pick up and go to Tijuana. I'll pick up and go somewhere just to protect my children. I don't blame the people there. So anyway, it seemed to me, unfortunately, that our patriarch, the Aratul Marsaku, seems to not stand up to Yonad and Kenna. So in a way, he maybe supports that position. And I think, I think this is condemning our people to further misery because many, or many communiques on the Patriarch's website said, we are not going to force anyone to stay. But by discouraging foreign governments from granting visas, we're basically forcing people to stay, condemning people to this misery. So I think what happened was, we, our diocese was singled out, basically, Deacon, right after... Uh, Deacon, just to clarify, are you saying that uh, Kenna, United Kenna, was criticizing government, not only Kenna, but the patriarch was criticizing governments for taking uh, our IDPs on asylum? Yonadam Kenna said... What about the, the French government? Well, the patriarch did not tell Yonadam Kenna to shut up, because we, we were supposed to thank the French government for that, not tell them this is interference in Iraqi affairs. Because what Iraqi affairs? What did Kenna do for the people? What, how much worse can it get? You know, why would he tell France not to grant visas to our people when he's in a position of power? Do you know, uh, Nathan, that one Chaldean person in, in Canada told me, a member of parliament in Canada is telling me that's your, your, your leadership in Iraq. They don't want the refugees. Why are you asking? So, so whatever the position of our patriarch is, and I don't mean to criticize anyone here, but I'm only speaking because we have misery for our people that we, we ourselves have not experienced. Misery like never has anyone experienced. Rafid, only Rafid probably knows firsthand what they're suffering over there. Um, and I don't know, Nathan, if you went or not, but I know Rafid was there. So wh by not asking foreign government, I would have liked to see our patriarchs, maybe not publicly, maybe secretly, ask foreign governments, grant visas for my people, give them the option. Whoever wants to stay, we will support them. But give them the option. But when you're asking foreign governments, discouraging or even discouraging foreign governments not to, then you're basically tacitly condemning people to stay in Iraq, forcing them to stay in Iraq. That's my opinion, and I think that's exactly what happened. And that is, I think, why 
our diocese, after these forums were delivered to D.C., our diocese was singled out, and on September 22nd, a communique came out on a website, on the, on the Patriarchate website, with names of 12 priests, 10 of them from our diocese, and there were only two from somewhere else, just basically, I think, to cover up that this was not singling out our diocese, and threatening them that if you don't return to Iraq within a month, you're suspended. Now, if you're a bishop, or if you're a father of a family, and your grandfather, your, your, your father, they're going to tell you, don't feed your children, don't feed your children, what would you do? Ten, ten, ten priests is 60% of our priests. Our diocese has 17 priests, with two of them being retired, or semi-retired. We are a geographically dispersed diocese over five states. We're not like Detroit, you know, where it's all in one place and you have a couple, maybe one church in Chicago. We are, even California itself, between the north and the south, is a nine-hour drive. So this would have completely crippled our diocese. And not just that, as you know, what the priest does is, is administer sacraments. As you know, you know I, I don't mean to, to preach here, but we're made of body and soul. The sacrament is a channel of grace. Christ acts in the person of the priest. Priest, the priests who always get criticized, they don't just celebrate Mass on Sunday. The priests, that I, and I work very closely with them, our priests do so much. It's not Mass on Sunday. It's baptism. It's marriages. It's marriage counseling. It's family problems. It's youth ministry. Yes. It's catechism. You name it, the list goes on and on. So how could any bishop would have, in good conscience, accept suspension within a month of 60% of his priests and leave his children, us, to starve to death with no sacraments. So I have a question. Was, sorry, sorry about yeah, that. Let's cut you off, Deacon. This is Rafid. Now, when he was calling back all these priests, did he have a backup plan? How were we going to have replacement for them? What was the patriarch's um, stance on that? Okay, I'm going to take your priest, but what is the solution to your to your diocese as as far as replacing them from his point of view? Rafa, uh, this, this is a great question. I, I, I wish someone would answer this question for us. It's a great question. If he had said, I'll give you six months, and oh, by the way, I'm going to send you another four priests from Baghdad or another priest, few priests from Michigan, you know, maybe we, there was no room for, no, no grounds for appeal. I don't know. But, but, so there was no backup plan. These priests wake up in the morning, and their names are listed on an, on some websites with was all this kinds the first of allegations. Time, was this the first time that they received any type of word wording regarding um, having to return? Because uh, according to the patriarch, uh, I don't again, I don't know who runs his pages, but this was this was a process that began in 2013. Um, to bring back some of the uh, some of the clergy who left um, who left Iraq without approval. Is this now, the first, the first them, time? The, 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 uh, it was, so for some, was the first time. For uh-huh. others, uh, especially two of them who had left recently, Father Faris and Father Fari, 
This was oh. maybe not the first time. But okay. five of them were monks. And these monks had already um, applied to be released a while back, before this decree. And by the way, <laughs> just that's another ironic thing. There were many other priests, and most priests that have left Iraq throughout the history of the Chaldean Church, left without official paperwork and released from their diocese, and that is even before persecution. So, so just to give you an idea, and we learned a lot about these priests. That you know, I learned a lot so much about canon law. The 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 church protects the priests. Now, many people say, well, other priests stayed. Well, how come those guys don't go back? Well, people are different. Like, how many people did what Rafa Yeldu did? to go back and spend months and spend time and treasure, you know, we're different. I mean, I donated money maybe, and I pray a lot for our people, and maybe I spoke at a rally, but compared to what Rafid Yeldu did, it's nothing. He humbles me. He makes me look bad. Okay? No, so, so people, people, what I'm saying is people are different. Some priests accept persecution and, are, and, and, and uh, you know, are able to stay. Others can't. For example... Father Faris Morogi in Telescope. This is one of the recent ones. He received a threat, a letter in, you know, in, in, in the basket, in the collection basket, threatening him to be killed if he doesn't leave. And he was beaten up harshly by the Kurdish Peshmerga in the middle of Telescope, who, who are supposed to be protecting our people. So see, uh, people need to know the story of these priests and why they left. Each one of them has a story behind it. And, for example, I'll give you another example. Father Pierre Lawrence, a married priest with two children, two young boys. I, and I learned about it after this, all this happened. And let me give you a brief history of him. He was in the seminary the last two years before he graduated. He left the seminary, and he was in Basra. And as you know, in the Chaldean rites, when there is extreme need, we can ordain a married person to be a priest, uh, unlike the Latin rites. So Bishop Jibrail Kassar, who was the Bishop of Basra at the time, asked him to be a priest because he needed uh, to cover the area in, in so southern Iraq. So he ordained him a priest, and he served faithfully in the Diocese of Basra. He was threatened by a Sunni militant group. I read the letter. He had a copy of the letter. He was threatened, him and his family, and he had to flee from the back door in a kitchen, they told him, you have to come at a certain time, and if you don't come, if you don't follow these instructions, you'll be killed. I mean, the letter is there. I, you know, I even translated it for him. So he left Basra, went to Iraq. I mean, the guy didn't leave the country. He went to Iraq, was under Cardinal Delhi. They gave him three-year temporary in Iraq. So they put him in Dora. And as you know, the, 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 the area of Dora in Baghdad was a war zone in, in, in 2006, 2007. And he continued to serve there, even though he is married with two children, until one day the church was stormed and the two guards were killed. Okay, so you follow me. So this is all these stories people don't know. All these people who are harshly criticizing our priests on social media and others and say these priests are cowards, why don't they go back? They don't know the personal stories of each one of these priests. So anyway, Father Peter still doesn't leave the country, okay, even though he's married and has two children. He goes back to other areas in Baghdad and goes around to serve in different churches until one day his son is threatened in school to be killed. And his son witnessed a terrorist attack right in front of his eyes. 
So at that point, when it got to his children, he left. He left, and he's been serving in our diocese faithfully for about seven years to ask him to give him one month to dislodge his family and his children and go back to Iraq, honestly, is injustice. You know, so, what's his fault? Shamasha, you know? Shamasha would, yeah. you say, would you say that uh, it sounds to me like your the stance there in the West is pretty similar, uh, contrary to what we've been led to believe, but it's pretty similar to Bishop uh, Bishop Francis's stance, that being, if they if they want to leave, we help them. If they want to stay, we help them. Yeah, absolutely. But if you say they want to leave, and you're asking foreign governments not to give them visas, or you're discouraging foreign governments, then you're you're basically forcing them to stay, which is mm-hmm. what's happening. I'll tell you no, what the proof no. is that uh, I'm sorry, Shamasha. I just want to add something yeah. here. And I sure. asked you the other day, and I'm sorry, I never read the website. How much did California sure. donate? There's a, it's important that uh, I want to make a point here. I think I know you donated, God bless you, 120000 is allocated to 100 families for adopter refugee in Lebanon. But you also. I think I read 280. No. It's 120. No, it's okay. I think I read 280 for humanitarian. Yeah, I'll, tell you, I'll, I'll tell you the numbers. I'll, I'll tell yeah, you the numbers. Yeah, if you could tell exactly. me the numbers, I would have followed up with a point. Yeah. But by the way, the followers of the so-called Assyrian or Christian political parties in Iraq here were circulating a rumor that uh, the money never left San Diego. Okay, so this was so hurtful for all of us who worked so hard to get this money. So, and we, we have circulated that rumor so anyway, Habibi, it's followers of those uh, political oh, parties okay. in Iraq. I, okay. I, I, I don't want to mention the names, you know, Sarkis okay. Zagadan's group and Yonatan Kenna's group. Anyway, I don't mean to, you know, make it personal, but forgive me. But it's the, it's the truth of the matter. Um, so we collected $620,000 from one fundraiser, and it still continues, by the way. The effort continues. There's a group that just started a new group, you know, Adopt a Family, the Knights of Columbus, the Chaldean Knights of Columbus. Anyways, 620000 300000 went. And we had an event to explain where the money went. And we had many American, even American donors. One American family donated $250,000, the owner of A1 Self Storage, a very good philanthropic you know, Catholic family. So anyway, $620,000, 300000 went to Bishop Emil Nona, the former Bishop of Mosul. And he... Uh, paid for rent for to, to to house many of the refugees, and he even sent us pictures of the building that he rented with the money that came from San Diego, and we showed it in a PowerPoint presentation at a gala at uh, at Crystal Ballroom, you know, the Chaldean American Association here in San Diego. Um, Two hundred thousand went to Father Francois, the Chaldean priest in Turkey, for the refugees in Turkey. And then 120000 I think, was channeled through a program in Detroit for the adopt a refugee family, you know, for, through Lo- to, to, to Lebanon. I know all about that. I'm part of that program, and yes, and I see that $10,000 check that we get monthly, which is $100 for each family every month, for 100 families. The point exactly. I want to make, the point I want to make, if California was politically motivated to get people out, they would not send any money to Hoke and uh, to Sayyidina Nona to pay rent for people who are staying in Iraq. 
They could have channeled exactly. all that money to Turkey, to Jordan, to Lebanon, which is also needed. It's really desperately needed. So my point is, if the Diocese of California, if their intention was, oh, yeah, we want people to get out of Iraq, let's help those ones that are leaving, then all that money, and they could have justified it saying, okay, we sent so much to Turkey, so much to Lebanon, so much to Jordan, but they didn't. 300,000 of it went to the Hulk for people who are staying in Duhok. So to me, that's not, I don't think they're politically motivated, and I said that a while back, and I will say it again. I look at it from that angle. Do you think think the patriarch's politically motivated? I, you know what? I don't get into two details, but yes, I think he is. I'm sorry. I mean, I love the patriarch. When I was there, believe it or not, believe it or not, a lot of people complained about him for forcing them to stay. I had one guy literally was so upset that he was cursing the patriarch, unfortunately, because when ISIS went into Mosul the first time, I don't know if you remember, they went in there the first time, our people left, and then they asked him to go back. He asked a lot of our people to go back to Mosul, and then many of them, when the second time ISIS invaded, some of them were kidnapped, some of them, not, I don't want to say kidnapped, but for about a month, they didn't know where they were. They were dispersed all over the place, and this guy was just livid. He lives in America, and I think he listens to the show, and I hope he will call uh, Kevin, if you can. He'll tell you he had a lot of family in Muslim, and he was really, really upset. So you think the patriarch is politically... I mean, why would he stay people to go back to Muslim, stay in Iraq, stay in Iraq? I mean, I don't know. What is it? What is I mean, it? Why? Uh, I mean, when I, I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah. One second, Deacon. I'm sorry to cut yeah, you off. Sorry, As sorry, I told okay. you before, Nathan, eight out of ten people that I asked, or nine, wanted to leave. Mm-hmm. Wanted to leave. Even the bishop or other clergy told me that I know that he was adamant about people staying, but finally, in the end, they had to convince him that, hey, you know, the the need is great for people wanting to leave. You have to grant people their wishes. Yes, and, okay. and, 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 and I, I must say, I'm sorry, Rafid. Sure. Nobody, I mean, we don't, we don't want to empty Iraq of Christians. This is a place where our culture for the last thousands of years, our ancestors are buried there. We don't want to leave. We don't want our people to leave. But as a, someone who has a family, I have three children and two grandchildren, I would never, never leave my children in this war zone. Who in their right mind mind today thinks that our people are going to be able to go back to Tel Kepe and Tel and Batnaya and al Ghosh? Really? Does anyone think in their right mind people should go back to these villages and be in the middle? There, There could be war between the Kurds and the Arabs, between Shiites and the Muslims. The whole region, you know, where is ISIS getting their weapons? You think the CIA doesn't know where ISIS is getting their weapons? This seems to be a plan create a huge war between the Shiites and the, and the Sunnis, and our people mm-hmm. are going to be caught in the middle? Are, yes. you, are you kidding me? You you know, whoever is advocating for people to stay, honestly, is advocating for our people's genocide. We I, don't think anybody, I don't think anybody I don't think anybody particularly advocates for people to stay. I don't think that's what the advocacy is. I think what, what it's come down to is there's a, prag, a pragmatic approach to this whole thing, and that's that after countless uh, discussions and interviews and lobbying and 
um, I think it's gotten to a point where we know that only a certain number of people are going to actually be able to leave, but based off based off of um, you know asylum laws and, and states who are very reluctant to take to take in some of these people because yeah, are we the mo- are we are we very affected right now by what's going on back home? Absolutely, those are our roots. We have family there, our churches there. However, there are uh, violent regions throughout the world, and we are actually a very, very small group, very, 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 very small group in terms of uh, the bigger picture. So I don't think anybody's actually advocating for people to stay. I think people are just advocating for pragmatic approaches like, okay, let's get humanitarian aid. Okay, let's provide a safe haven that's uh, – that's, uh, uh, surrounded or defended by you know international troops or or peacekeepers or our own military force. Okay, let's try to get however many people we can out of there. The people who 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 want to leave. Let, let's do all these things. I don't think anyone is particular saying you know you know what you guys have to stay. We're going to make you stay, and this is the reason why we're going to make you stay. I don't think that's the actual approach. Um, yeah. I'm sorry, I have to disagree. I've seen a lot that I advocate yeah. that, and I think that Deacon made a great point. Who's advo- who's hold on, hold on. I mean, even no, no, I'll listen, tell, listen. I'll, I'll tell we have listen. There are four million. There, there are four million Chaldeans, Assyrians, Syriacs worldwide. Okay, you're going to have a lot of bad apples who are advocating for the So you can't say I don't think anybody is. I don't think anybody that matters, any group that no. matters, any lobbying group. Hold that on, matters, Nathan. I wanted to finish my point. I'm Go sorry. Ahead. The Deacon made a very interesting point that I really didn't think of because I don't get too involved in politics. Yes, there are people behind the scenes, like he said, whatever his name is, Kenna, Kenna, that is discouraging governments from uh, from applying or for granting visas or granting asylum. So, yeah, you know what? Right now, there are people, I believe, I believe there are people who are advocating to stay, but they're not coming out in public because I know they will probably get chopped up by their own there because 80 to 90 percent, eight out of nine, eight out of ten people that I asked again want to leave. And that's not including just refugees that well, were affected by Rafa, that. Rafa, I'm going to I, don't think, I don't think it's fair for you to say you, you, you there are people who behind the scenes are doing this quietly. I don't think that's fair to say that. If you're going to argue this, then, then let's be very transparent and, and talk about facts. Hold on. Don't say that there are people behind Hold the scenes. It's Hold not on. behind the scene. Uh, it's not behind the scene. You and Adam Kenna is very public about it. Right. And, he's, right. and he, he has been a member of parliament sitting in the green zone making millions of dollars a year and forcing my people stay yes. in the war zone. I do not appreciate that. I'm furious <laughs> about that. I think that is absolutely criminal. I'm sorry to get emotional, but we have women no, no, you have every, dying. You have, you have every right. Street. You have and every right to get emotional. Him, who, gives and him, I, who gives him the right? Who gives him the right to, this, to tell the French government this is an interference in Iraqi affairs? What has he done for Iraqi affairs? What have they done? And you know, Nathan, you said they're not advocating. I think you're wrong about that. Have you heard about the so-called Nineveh Protection Units? Thank I was you. Furious the other I was day just getting to that. People, yeah, with some people here in San Jose, and they are, by the way, forgive me to say that, I love all of our people, but they are Assyrians from Iran, most of them, who are making money to send money to buy weapons, few rifles, for a few Chaldean men to go fight ISIS. Are you kidding me? These people have tanks. These people have probably weapons of mass destruction. And I'm few rifles, you're going to send them to our men to be cannon fodder for some pipe dream of a future Assyria? Well, my, 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 my statement is, forgive me for being emotional, 
the Chaldeans have emptied Nineveh for the Assyrians. If they want to leave San Jose and Chicago and Australia, go back and you fight and get your Assyria back. Leave our people alone. Let your Adam Kenna shut up and let foreign governments, I'm calling for our patriarchs and our bishops in Iraq to ask foreign governments to grant visas for our people. So whoever wants to leave, they have a choice. They have a true choice. Right now, they're being forced to stay. I'm sorry to get emotional, but let me get back, let me get back to the point that I was trying to make about the priests, because that was the whole issue about this, this, uh, this topic. So, so September 22nd, the Patriarch issued this warning for 10 priests, okay? October 22nd, he fulfilled his promise and issued suspension. That same day, our diocese appealed to the Holy Father, and basically, Bishop Sarhad said, my conscience does not allow me to starve my children to death. I cannot, in good conscience, accept the suspension of these priests. Canon law allows me to make an appeal to a higher authority, and higher, once an appeal is made, it basically suspends the lower authority's decision until the Holy Father gives a decision. So, follow with me. We have September 22nd. They put, they put up the names of the priests on the Internet. One of them is Father Ramon Serkis. He's in Las Vegas. And some of the stuff said about him was not even true. And that was one of the priests, Nathan, who heard about it for the first time. And by the way, okay. Cardinal Emmanuel Delhi knew about all these priests. And some of, one of them goes back all the way to Patriarch Bidawid. So anyway, October 22nd, it took two months for the Vatican, the Congregation of Eastern Churches, who the prefect or the president of it is, its eminence, Cardinal Leonardo Sandri. October, December 22nd, just before Christmas, a letter, a confidential letter was sent, the, the apostolic nuncio called our bishop, apostolic letter was sent, and it said the, the patriarch decision is suspended pending further investigation into the matter. Now, many communiques were coming from the Patriarchate website. I don't know who's writing them. I'm not accusing anyone, but I read them. Nathan, you said you read them. Discouraging people from going to Mass. Imagine, imagine discouraging people from going to Mass and telling the people, these priests are suspended and it's a desecration of the sacraments if you go so that's why the, the Patriarchate's website communiques created a lot of scandal in our diocese. Few people got up, as I said, and started attacking priests in the middle of Mass. So, but when the Cardinal suspended the Patriarch decision, there was no statement from the Patriarchate's website to say, it's okay, you can go to Mass now. So... I'm still waiting for that, and I thank God now Bishop Basilio Yeldu is in charge of that website. It was just announced, and I can assure you, no nonsense communiques are going to be issued going forward now that Bishop Basilio Yeldu is in charge of it, and I love that guy. He's a great so, man. He's a great, very, very, very yeah, good person. So, so let me finish. So, so, so when, when the Cardinal's letter came, guess what some people immediately started up, you know, uh, spreading a rumor. What's that? That Cardinal Leonardo Sandri 
when he visited our diocese in July, he received a bribe from Bishop Sarhad. And this was written up by somebody who supports, unfortunately, his, his beatitude, our patriarch, on ashtar.tv website, that the cardinal who is in charge of the Congregation for Eastern Churches received a bribe. He was bribed, and that's why the patriarch decision was suspended. And by the way, our patriarch, God bless him, God bless his heart, has not asked these people to stop saying this. And, and a statement needs to come out to ask everyone who is spreading this rumor to stop. You know who Cardinal Sandri is? Cardinal Leonardo Sandri is one of the most revered princes of the church. When St. John Paul II was dying in his room, Cardinal Sandri was at his bedside. And when St. John Paul II died, Cardinal Leonardo Sandri came out from the, from the Vatican from the window, and he's the one who announced to the world, to the church, that the church is now without a father. Cardinal Leonardo Sandri was one of the top ten candidates to become Pope after Pope Benedict. And you have some people accusing him of taking a bribe from Bishop Salahad? I'm sorry to say, all these people are trying to attack the Catholic Church and put doubts on the legitimacy of the Catholic Church, on the See of St. Peter, on our diocese and our bishop, and this nonsense needs to stop, completely needs to stop. Our diocese is proceeding with our spiritual and faith, spirituality and faith. We have ordinations coming up, and we have a new order of, of, of monks about to be announced, and we are just blessed to no end with our bishop, with all the stuff that's happening, with Barbawe and all the people that came with him, with Father Andrew Yonan, and the list goes on and on. So I'm sorry I got a little emotional, but this is... No, no, you're fine. And you're you're fine. Sorry. Shamasha, yeah. I, I want to I go back to, to the previous topic because it's a very interesting topic. If you, if you had... We can only speculate to, to my next question, but I am going to disagree in a minute with uh, something that was stated earlier about people not wanting our people to stay. But if you had to speculate, would you say most of our people want to stay there or want to leave? Is this Nathan or Omar? This is Omar. Omar, Habibi. How would you... I think most of the people, they can't wait to leave. Who would want to go back and live 10 miles from ISIS? Are you serious? Who, who would want to stay there? Even the Kurdish, the Kurdish region, there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of extremists, even our churches were attacked just about a year ago, I think in Duhok or somewhere. You, you know, the okay. people who were fighting, ISIS fighting in Kobani, the leader of ISIS was Kurdish. Our people are, are, are I wouldn't even stay in Erbil, for heaven's sakes, if I had children. Because so, you never know when it's going to blow up. So the reason, I ask that, the reason I ask that question is because... We do have, I am going to, to disagree with what was said earlier, we do in fact have people who who do fight for our people to stay there, which I think is ridiculous. Because the the NPU is one example, but I've heard others, I've heard others who I've had private discussions with who are active say that they want to maintain identity, and the only way we can maintain identity is by people staying there. But Nathan is saying yeah, no, no, the NPU, the, 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 the NPU, and then the, NPU and Nineveh Protection Unit, where were they? 
It should be called Nineveh Liberation Unit. Where were they before? How come they didn't form it 10 years ago? Why, did, why didn't they protect our people before? Where was Kenna and these I mean, there's a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of background. I can, get, I can get into defense forces, for, and I can talk about that for hours, but there's a lot of background behind that. It was disbanded multiple times by Baghdad and by Erbil um, after the 2003 war. Anyway. I can get into that, but but anyways, that's that's neither that's neither here nor there. We do have a caller on the line who has a question for you, Deacon. Yes, Stephanie. Sir. Hi, Deacon. How are you? Hi, Stephanie. God bless you. Good. Thank you, Deacon. You too. I, you know, I just have a a, a couple a comment and a question. My first comment is, um, the one thing I do agree with you. I don't believe any Christians should be left in Iraq after the slaughter. Um, when you have children and women and people that can lay victims to these people, I agree, and I believe even the patriarch should just leave and redirect the headquarters here or someplace else that's, that's safer so we can continue on our faith. Um, my second comment is, or question to you is, the situation with the priests, and I'm not judging uh, in either way why they left and how come they left and what the logistics are, but just as an observer, how I would want to know, let's say um, His Excellency Bishop Jammu had a priest that decides today, one of the new, the new priests that's going to be ordained, wants to move to France because he has family there, and he likes the weather in France better. And he doesn't want to stay in San Diego or anywhere else anymore. Can he just pick up and leave without having any permission from the bishop? And suppose he left and moves to France or whatever country for whatever reasons, the reasons may be, um, and the bishop did not give him explicit permission, how would our, you know, the bishop Jumbo feel if one of his priests did that? I mean, this is just my perspective. Yeah, no, you thank see, you so I mean, much, looking uh, at it from, from that kind yeah. of a point of view. No, 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 thank you. Thank you. It's a very legitimate question. I totally appreciate the question. Um, but in San, San Diego is not, uh, Mosul, and it's not Baghdad in 2006, but it's a war zone. So the chances of anybody leaving to go to France is very little, for, first of all. Second, the church does, I learned this, believe me, Stephanie, after all this happened, and it's making even our faith stronger. The church does protect the interest of the priest. It's in canon law. The church protects the priest's desires sometimes, his best interest also. Because a priest is a, is, a, is a representative of Christ. If he wants to serve in France, and he's going to ask Bishop Sarat for approval, he may grant it. And by the way, Father, Father Andrew Yonan, he was ordained for, for Michigan. And he asked to be, to, to be transferred to San Diego, and Bishop Ibrahim gave him the permission. Now, these priests who left, they left under persecution, under threat. One of them left 22 years ago, you know, Father Noel Georgis. Right. Uh, he left... 20, 22 years ago, and uh, under and during the Iran-Iraq War, he was he was he was forced to uh, to go fight in the war. And and when, when many people say, fled, right. Yeah. For the sake Stephanie. of argument, Deacon, I understand your perspective, but for the sake of argument, let's let's say, God forbid, one day Christian persecution comes to the United States, and it may. We don't know what's ahead of us. Let's say in San Diego. For the sake of hypothetically, priests become persecuted now, Chaldean priests, and the priests want to leave. And I'm not, I'm not. I told you again, I'm not pointing fingers. I don't. I know the priests are persecuted there, like everybody in Iraq. 
the priest left without permission, any explicit permission. My issue is what is the perspective of a bishop? Because you're disobeying your superior. It's just, this, is, this is my point. What if they just leave without giving any notice to their bishop? How would that bishop feel? Of course, I mean, there is the church definitely has canon law. And all these are taken, these cases are taken on a case by case basis. You know, I cannot speculate on a hypothetical situation. It should not be that priests leave. And all of these priests, as I explained earlier to you, Stephanie, to the audience, this married priest, one of them, Father Pierre Lawrence, as an example, he did not leave. He was threatened in Basra. He went to Dora. They killed his guards. He went to Baghdad until they threatened his, his children. So this is a war zone. You know, this is persecution. So it is really a special case. I agree with you. No bishop would like it if his priest would just pick up and go to another town. That's not right. right. You know, I, I totally agree with you. But when you're, when you're looking at a, at, a, at a situation like, for example, Father Ramon Sarkis left in 2006, 2007, when Baghdad, there's kidnappings every day, churches are threatened, all of that stuff. Some of the priests psychologically could stay. He couldn't. A young yeah. priest, he was in his 20s, and he has maybe, he couldn't stay. He just couldn't handle it. The guy and, I, and, I, and, I agree, to, and I agree, and I agree, you know, I understand. Stephanie, I understand, thank you, you know, their point of view. Have a lot of callers. Stephanie, thank you, for, thank you so thank much. You. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. We have, we have uh, Lorna on the line. Lorna. Tamasha Day. Lorna. How are you? God bless you. God bless you. Um, let me introduce myself really quickly. My name is Lorna Gepishaya. Um, I have um, worked very closely with His Excellency as I started in the St. Joseph Choir, um, in Troy, um, I was there from age nine until I was 18, 19 years old. Um, as I got married and moved to San Diego, I became his diocesan secretary for St. Peter Chaldean. Um, um, let me first start off saying that this is not the first time that the, his excellency has been attacked. Um, as many of you, the listeners do know, and I don't want to open any old books, but this has happened before. And again, his excellency follows the canon law. And he, he, if I could say in few words, his excellency, Bishop Sarahad Jammu, is not an ordinary bishop. He's not someone okay. that can just uh, may, uh, get up one morning and say, you know what, I feel like doing this. Let me do this. Let me tell you. I'm not just saying this and defending him. No, not at all. But this man is a very, the most intelligent man I have ever known in my, and will ever know in my life. And a lot of people will agree with me. A lot of people might not, but I know a lot more will agree with me. This man does not make a decision based on emotions or anything like that. No. This man Lorna, do you have any, Lorna, do you have any specific comments or question, honey, that you want to address I, here? A, a specific comment I, or question? I, I, I don't have any questions. These are just my comments. For for people to just say that the bishop would bribe um, a cardinal, that's really that's um, childish. And if he did, he, sorry to say, if he did, you know what? He's got to be a smart man to do that um, because no one else that. did it. But I, I I'm not saying that he did, but I'm just saying yeah, that if I, he, I, if he did, that's one. Second of all, um, the bishop thinks 20 years in advance. So whatever he's doing right now, he's thinking way in advance 
for the better of the church and for the diocese. You can't just get up one morning and say nine or ten priests need to come back home. People are running away from back home. People need to be safe. People have children and grandchildren. And just like how these these priests' lives are precious, just like how ours are, they're human as well. Why would they want to go back there when everyone else wants to come here? And that's what I hear. Every, everybody that is hot, who wants to be, um, like uh, Shama Shaghez said, who wants to be 10 miles or a few miles away from ISIS? Absolutely nobody. I'm a mother of three children, and I'm blessed. I would never want to do that. And it's like you well, get up one morning, and Saddam Hussein would ask, Moalid, uh, 1970s, need to come and fight. That's exactly well, what the Patriarch is doing, and that's unfair. Thank Lorna, th- thank you so much for your call. Thank you so much. And I, I must say that uh, I, I totally agree with everything that Lorna said, and she knows Bishop Sarah more than anyone else. I did not know him before he came to the diocese, and I must say that he is one of the most brilliant people I have ever met. The guy, even in his dreams, is thinking about the Lord Jesus. Even in his subconscious, 24 hours a day, he is the most, one of the most committed Christians that I've ever faced, seen committed to the Lord, to the church, and to the patrimony of the Chaldean church, to the liturgy okay. of the Chaldean church. So uh, I, I, I totally agree. And by the way, his student, Father Andrew Yonan, is, is just as smart as him, and he is a professor of philosophy at John Paul the Great Catholic University. And let me tell you, John Paul the Great Catholic University is another achievement which is an alliance between... See, so, so many people criticize Bishop Sarhad, by the way, for starting a, a seminary. Imagine starting the first Chaldean seminary outside Iraq. Can you imagine he got so much criticism and so much flack for it? I have to it's say like, that... Uh, why? You know, I, I have to say saying, that... Why don't you... I'm, I'm sorry. Some people say, why don't you send your seminarians to Sacred Heart Seminary in Michigan? Are you kidding me? I've heard this. I've heard this even from priests in Michigan. These yeah. seminarians that we have are serving the community day and night. Catechism, youth groups, Bible studies, serving the Mass. Send them across the continent to be taught by a Latin Rite seminary. And by the way, we don't have a seminary in San Diego. If there was a seminary like Sacred Heart in San Diego, he would have probably sent them to them. But he mm-hmm. took the initiative to start a seminary, form the alliance with John Paul the Great Catholic University, a great university in San Diego. Father Andrew is a, uh, a professor of philosophy, and they absolutely love him. They're getting the best formation. We even had a seminarian that came, a Chaldean seminarian that came from Germany to our seminary. So imagine, to, all of you need to know, the bishop has said that, that for the seminary. Yes, and we have another caller, uh, Esad. That's right. Hi, how are you guys? Good, Hello, how are you? Son, how are you? <coughs> it's, it's a heated subject today, again. Not really. <laughs> it's not heated. Well, no, what heated. happened to the temperature here in Michigan all of a sudden it's 60 degrees? <laughs> I'm sorry, maybe I'm sorry, maybe I got a little emotional. That's no, okay. That's uh, what Shabasha, how are you? Hi, Asad, how are you? Is it Asad Kalashu? I'm okay, this. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I heard a lot of good things about you. I've never met you in person, but I hope to meet you in the future. Thank you, sir. So I'm here. And Nathan is my son. Oh, nice. Beautiful. You have a, yes. you know, that's, uh, you know, uh, like father, like son. Thank you very much. God bless you. <laughs> Excellent. Um, 
first, I, I, I really wanted it to uh, to see this uh, subject uh, dealt uh, within uh, secret uh, channels between the church itself, not to come out exactly. where they could have exactly. they could have discussed exactly. the issue together and reach a conclusion where maybe another plan could have been put together very peacefully and very understandable between the two parties and uh, think, you know, just call it a day and that's it, rather than it coming and, uh, uh, publicly. And and as I assure you, if Bishop Basilio Yeldu was there, this would not have, would not have happened. I'm sorry to say, well, but I'm just saying the truth. I'm saying exactly what's on my heart. Thank God Bishop Basilio Yeldu is now in Baghdad. Thank God. Okay? And, right. and you'll see differences going forward. Well, well, uh, 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 Basilio, uh, Bishop Basilio was our neighbor in Turkey. He was a, a, exactly. was a little child, and I know the whole family. I know from the father and the mother and the whole nine yards. But again, um, as you know, I am a little, uh, little um, um, uh, critic of few issues, and uh, I speak it out in my radio show. And some of the issues really it bothers us. Uh, in the uh, in the uh, in the front line of the community, if you would, uh, people like like me and others that are always on the front line talking about the affairs of, of the community and the protection of the community and and the goodwill of the community. So there was a few issues uh, the bishop had uh, said before he became a bishop, and that came back to haunt us when he said here in Michigan that we are all Austrians, we're not Chaldeans. And then when in San Diego, a statement was uh, uh, revised when, uh, 180 degrees that we are Chaldeans, basically. And, and that, is, that is something that didn't sit well with a lot of people. But nevertheless, nobody's perfect. Again, that's one of the issues with, uh, with the bishop. Other than that, I believe the, the man is uh, clever and, and smart. And uh, I know he, was, he had been criticized before uh, unfairly. But in some in some cases uh, there was a justification for the criticism. Uh, I also uh, know uh, Bishop Sacco, and I do agree with you his uh, uh, attitude uh, when he was a bishop of uh, Kirkuk at the time. I agree with you 100%. There was some question mark uh, uh, about his uh, conduct when uh, uh, Patriarch Delhi was uh, in power, or was uh, alive and in power, of course. Um, I also had a critic criticism about the uh, Patriarch when he was here in Detroit, just uh, uh, maybe 60 days before this, uh, this uh, catastrophe took place, he was asking us to go back to Telkiepe and grow Tarouzi and grow Batife, for that matter. <laughs> you know, no, I'm serious. I, and I was on the front yeah. line, uh, sitting next to the Bishop Rahim when he said that. I, I didn't know what to say. You know, I, yeah. I was just thinking and hoping that he was joking. But yep. again, I wish that this particular situation could have been solved between you guys uh, in a secret channels, uh, you know, um, rather than having public publicly. And and as we all know, our people are are ready and 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 willing to criticize the the, the priest uh, for no reason in so many ways. That's uh, right. Uh, that, sorry, saying that, saying that, I want to talk. I want to. I want to just hold on, Rafa. Just don't sure. complete. I just want to touch on the subject of uh, Yonadim Kenna and, and his uh, basically uh, childish behavior when he did to go to France and ask the French government uh, 
that uh, by them opening their uh, their doors to the uh, Christians in Iraq are interference with the uh, uh, with the uh, with the uh, Iraqi government uh, 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 for that matter. And I, I think that was not only childish but uh, close to being a criminal, just like you said. And I. I I had to depart myself a little away from UNADM. We were kind of close about 10 years ago because of statements like that. And I do agree with you that also there is some kind of a plan that from from the other side, not in particular the Assyrians, but those who call themselves the leaders, the political leaders of the Assyrians, um, they have a plan to basically use us and abuse us and for their own benefit. Not to particular the people of of uh, Assyrians. Uh, they are there is a, a good number of those people that are working with uh, Nathan and others uh, closely, heart to heart as Christians, as Assyrians and Chaldeans. But those politicians, I agree with you 110 percent, Shamasha. And again, uh, from hearing you, I think you can take a leadership role uh, to uh, basically put this thing uh, uh, folded a little bit and deal with it in a secret manner between you guys. Uh, solve it. Don't let the public know about it. Let's uh, move on with it. After all, you guys are all Christians and uh, believers and doing a good job. Uh, again, uh, God bless you. And, and uh, I heard uh, some good things also about you and your group there doing a good job. In the meantime, let's not uh, a shift uh, uh, once in a while or every so often shift to uh, a situation where we can be criticized by others and look uh, in so many ways not so good in front of our people. Thank you so much, Asad, for your wise words. Thank you for And one comment about one comment about what uh, Brother Asad said. I want to say something. One more thing about uh, Cardinal Emmanuel Delhi. As you know, he was one of the most committed people to his church, and he never wanted to leave Iraq. This is something that really hurt me. I, as I said, I grew up learning at his feet. My, my, my late uh, grandfather, uh, Shamasha Slewisimhan, some of you may know him, some people, a lot of people in Michigan know him, used to take us to church, and we, we, my brother and I used to play at the feet of, of uh, our late patriarch, Paulus Sheikhu and uh, Cardinal Emmanuel Delhi. He never wanted to leave Baghdad. But as you know, he got dementia. He was, he was forced to leave the first time, got to Jordan, realized that they want to ship him to America, and he fought, and he, he, he raised, uh, you know, a big, made a big scene, and they were forced to take him back to Baghdad. Then again, they called his family from Baghdad and told them, what do you want us to do with him? His family was furious. This is a cardinal, a patriarch, a priest who served the church all his life, and his wish, his last wish was to die in Baghdad, okay? He was again taken out of Baghdad against his will. I am the one who went and received him in the airport right here in San Diego. In Baghdad, he was living by the Chaldean sisters. In San Diego, he also came to live by the Chaldean sisters. We had to convince him. We had to lie to him to tell him that he is still in Baghdad. He was, he would have been furious. Till this day, and I want to put it out to everybody, I do not understand why Cardinal Delhi, who wanted to be buried in Iraq, why was he taken out of Iraq? I put it out for people, I'm not making any judgment, but because I knew him so well and it hurts my heart, and I just wanted to say something about it. Okay, Shamasha, we have another caller. Uh, Raghad? 
Hi, um, my name is Ragat Farida. I'm calling from San Diego, California. Okay. Hi, Ragat. Hello. Um, <clears throat> Hello, Vic. Uh, I'd like to make a couple of comments. I've been here since 1980. My dad brought us here from six six boys. Um, I've heard a lot of stories from my father about how he was treated um, back in the days when he was working with the uh, brother Muslim. And just coming here and living in this country and then and, and, um, going to church and all that, it's just uh, the issue we have with the priest, you know, to send them back is very, very um, hard to figure out because the priests have been here for so long and they were threatened. Um, and we need the priests to, to help our diocese. We have over 60, 70,000, like Tamash mentioned, uh, throughout California, Arizona, and Nevada. And we had, we had no plans for us to do here. So they were, we, we, we left them here. We wanted to stay here. And um, just want to say that and share my my thoughts with you guys. Thank you very much, and uh, I love you all, and love to be Christian Catholic. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank call. You very much. I just want—I do want to say something before. As I just told me to not say anything, but uh, um, from what I understand from a good inside source here in Michigan, not pro uh, Bishop Subhead or pro patriarch. Uh, patriarch. He said when the Patriarch was in Michigan, in the USA, that Bishop Sarhad did invite him to come out to California, but he chose not to go. Is that true? Do you know anything about it, Deacon? Yes, uh, I think the Patriarch himself said that uh, in in a recent interview with uh, an Australian uh, channel. So, yes, the Patriarch himself did say that himself, yes. Because a lot, you know what, I hate to say, the bishop did catch a lot of flack for people saying, oh, he didn't want to come here for the uh, to meet the patriarch, and he didn't want to meet the patriarch, and he's the one who's refusing. So that's very important for people to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so much. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the same situation. You know, we, uh, again, I have to say that our diocese is, a model diocese, honestly, with spiritual renewal, with with, with uh, uh, adherence to the Chaldean tradition. And I want to touch a little bit uh, on what Omar uh, wanted uh, to cover, uh, you know, about this topic, about the, the liturgy also. Um, uh, touch on it a little bit, because as you know, that's another appeal at the moment. It's not just the appeal about the priests. Bishop Sarhad has appealed to Rome, to the congregation, about a situation that we're having right now in the liturgy. So one thing that hurts me personally, in the new liturgy that the patriarch just put out, do you know that he wants to remove the body of the Lord from the crosses of our churches? You saw during the installation of Bishop uh, Basilio that in the St. Joseph Church in Baghdad, the church where I was baptized, the cross is basically an ornamental cross. The body of the Lord has been removed. So this is something that touches me to the core because it seems like, you know, if we what's remove the reason the body for that, of Deacon? Lord, yeah. Deacon, what's the reason for that? That's a very good question for his beatitude. You know, uh, removing the body of the Lord, this is what happens in Protestant churches. 
Okay. So, so there was no the so the, that there was no explanation attached to the to these uh, changes. I, I I'm really not aware. But but let me let okay. me let me tell you a little bit of some of these facts. You know, in October first, basically two thousand fourteen, uh, Cardinal Leonardo Sandri, who is prefect or president of the Oriental Congregation, sent a letter to Bishop Sarhad Jammu asking for his evaluation. As you all know, Bishop Sarhad Jammu is an expert on Chaldean liturgy. He taught for almost 20 years in Rome Chaldean liturgy. He is the expert. He is known to be the expert on Chaldean liturgy and the patrimony of the Chaldean forefathers, you know, Mar'edde, Marmari, and the, the four, he, he is really the expert. So anyway... Because that's why the Cardinal sent a letter to him just past October 1st, asking for his evaluation regarding a proposal for a revised text of the Divine Liturgy presented by his Beatitude, Patriarch Cardinal, who has stated to Cardinal Sandri that the Chaldean Church is in need of a new unified text for all of the Chaldean Church. Now, the Cardinal expressed, in the letter, expressed puzzlement at the proposal of Patriarch Staku since the congregation had given the final approval or recognition to the Reformed Mass since 2006, since Patriarch Delhi, which was to be used in every Chaldean diocese in the world. Now, while Bishop Sarhad was composing his response to the request of Cardinal Sandri, Patriarch Saku published again on the website an edition of the Mass, a new edition, with a letter dated October 20th from Cardinal Sandri, giving an emergency so-called emergency recognition to supposedly some modifications of the reform mass of 2006 that Patriarch Saku presented to the congregation in, two, uh, uh, in 2013 and 2014. Now, it was stated on the Patriarch's website that every Chaldean diocese must celebrate to this mass beginning November 30th. So, therefore, it was incumbent on our diocese to declare its position in regards to the serious matter of liturgy, which is the core of the duty and calling of the church. So the background of the matter is that it is a chaotic situation with respect to liturgy, and a liturgical reform and committee was established beginning in 1994 and culminated in, in, in approval in a Chaldean Senate in Rome in 2005 and a text of the Reformed Missal was sent to the congregation, and it was received in 2006. And Mar Emmanuel Delhi, with a letter dated June 15, 2006, uh, to all of the Chaldean churches, he said this is to be used by the whole Chaldean church on the following Feast of Epiphany, January 6, 2007. Now, the canonical process of the liturgical reform, having been completed, our diocese happily complied since 2006 and began using the Reformed Missal at the proper time, and it has been without any doubt a great source of unity and spiritual beauty in our diocese. So, again, I must say, the fathers who were present at the Chaldean Synods of 2013 and 2014, where supposedly they unanimously approved some changes, uh, specifically in regard to Patriarch Saku's attempt to modify the liturgy according to his vision, the fathers who attended 2013-2014 certainly could not have a serious debate because there was no ritual or patristic study. And I'm referring here to a, a, a appeal 
And the letter that Bishop Sarhad wrote in November, just last November uh, 24, 2014. So there was no study of any proposal to guide them on that kind of conversation. So the okay. bishops attending the two synods have not applied the reform in their diocese. Therefore, you know, the reform from 2006, based on what experience they would propose any modification. So, so that's oh. why right now there is a serious quest by Bishop Sirhead to form a new committee and our eparchy of St. Peter the Apostle, having applied the approved canonical reform of 2006 and having now informed okay. the Holy See, uh, I'm almost done, I've informed the Holy See of her caution and remarks in regard to the recent supposedly modifications, we will now wait for Rome's decision. Meanwhile, okay. our diocese will continue her canonical uh, liturgical practice. That's the statement. That is a summary of Bishop Sarhad's statement. Okay, we have uh, we have Ricky on the line. Ricky, Ricky, hello, Ricky. Hi, Ricky. Okay. No, I think he was having a little trouble. Ricky, Ricky if you can hear us, uh, try calling us back, um, if you will. I wanted to go back to something that Nathan said earlier. Is Does the patriarch have anything political? You know, being around the church, being around a lot of people, and I got this sentiment from a lot of people, they share this view. There are a lot of, uh, let's put it, let me, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of clergy out there who are doing a lot worse, okay, than Bishop Sarhead or whatever you want to call it. How come he's not going after them? How come he's not going after them publicly? I was with him when he was in Michigan, and I'm not going to share the story of what and who, but we were talking about a certain clergy member that he knew about that really he was really suspicious about, and he shouldn't be where he should be, but... I don't hear him, you know, chastising him publicly, criticizing him or anything like that. So, yeah, he does have a political motivation. Yeah, I think we have a caller. We have a caller. Uh, Andrew? Hi, yes. Hi, Andrew. Good. How are you? Andrew. Good. How are you? Good. Thanks for calling the boiler room. Boiler, boiler room. Sorry. <laughs> it's been a long boiler day. Boiler room. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, yes, uh, my name is Andrew. Um, I'm calling from San Diego. And... Uh, you know, you guys are touching upon it right now. I was wanted to call in to just talk a little bit more about the issue of the liturgy. And uh, I think Grace, you know, put it perfectly. Um, but just to touch on it a little more, you know, I, I think the whole, you know, I think the whole point of this, you know, of what we're trying to do here on this radio show um, today is to kind of give people, like, maybe both sides of the story or just hearing sides of the story that they're not hearing and to kind of get the facts out there. And, Andrew, did you um, say you're calling think, from San Diego? Yes. Yeah. Okay, the the reason is because, like I mentioned earlier, in Detroit, we're sort of, we're caught in the crosshairs, right? So uh, we hear yeah. things, we hear things from the Patriarch's camp, and we hear things from Bishop Jammu's camp, and we thought that it would be wise for us to get somebody on who's close to the bishop to clear some, you know, to clear some of these things. And he yeah, did, definitely. he did a wonderful uh, job. Deacon did a wonderful job tonight. He really, really did. I commend him on that. Um, but I just want to, like, just to let people know that, you know, when when discussing these issues and, you know, 
try and to, to, not, to try not to spread rumors and to just you know take something from what this person said, you know, just spin it out there, like because a lot of the information that we're talking about is is available like to the people. It's it's out there. You know, well, Andrew, um, that's that's can, why we uh that's why we have this show and that's why we uh that's why we wanted to to bring the you know bring him on here today is to to clear the air and to stop these rumors from continuing to 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 flow. Exactly, and they just talked about it with with the liturgy. You know, there was a synod, uh, there was there was a committee. You know, a lot of people like I hear you know people in Michigan or outside of our diocese will say, you know. We do Bishop Sarah's Mass out here in St. Peter's Diocese. How could you call it Bishop Sarah's Mass when the committee was established by the synod of the bishops? That means every Chaldean bishop in the Chaldean Church at the time, uh, I believe it was five priests along with a bishop that were a part of the committee. And each priest and bishop was chosen carefully. Obviously, they chose the ones who were experts in the liturgy, Bishop Sarah being one of them. And now he's probably the expert that is alive today of the Chaldean liturgy. And, and like I said, that's why Cardinal Sandry was puzzled. It's like, okay, I just got this new mass proposed to me, and your name is not on this. Like, this this is this is weird. And like they said, if, if, if this new proposed mass is, you know, just a modification of the 2006 mass that was approved, and the St. Peter's Diocese being the only diocese that has practiced that mass for the past eight years, this has been uh, approved by the Vatican, and okay. you know Patriarch Sacco and you know whoever else you know made modifications and submitted it to the Vatican. How dare they submit this and act like they're experts on a, on a mass that they have not practiced one day in their life? Andrew, Probably, thank you so much for the call. No. Thank you for your call, thank Andrew. You. Uh, Deacon, I. I really want yes, to, sir. you know, say thank you for all of what, you know, San Diego has done. 670,000 for a community of 40 to 50,000 Chaldeans. That's amazing. Or whatever it might be. Nathan thinks it's more 60 or 70. Whatever it is, uh, I like action. Talk is cheap. You continue to do what you're doing. Uh, you, Mark, or whoever is out there, as long as you're trying to help our people, God bless you. Uh, and I'll support you. And thank you for all that, you know, you are doing. And then prayers are even more important than anything else. Yeah, there is a new group, uh, Rafa, that just started actually to continue the effort by the Chaldean Knights of Columbus. You know, we call them Martoma Knights right here in San Diego. Uh, Brother Kamal Al-Sawaf, Dr. John Kasawa, Garvin Garmu, and a few other guys. I, for, I, I have to ask their forgiveness. I, I've you heard know, but of it's that. on our website. Yeah, it's, it's going to be called Adopt a Family. We're going to be collecting donations for $100 a family for the refugee families. So the effort continues, you know, of our diocese. And by the way, the effort is all from the people. You know, the bishop said he blesses our efforts, encourages us. But the effort all came from the people, whether it was the forms to be filled out, whether it was even the trip to D.C. You know, the bishop didn't really ask for that. The bishop basically accompanied Mark, who set up those meetings, and the effort continues. Uh, it's called Adopt a Family. Uh, and we had, uh, you know, uh, Iraqi Christian Refugee Fund.org, you know, a website that I sent you a copy of uh, where we got a lot of donations from a lot of our American brothers and sisters, even some Protestant brothers and sisters. 
Yes. So uh, we created a lot of awareness right here in San Diego. There's God a great effort. And but but honestly, I say again, Rafid, what you've done, you dwarfed all of us, man. You know what? You know you went there. You spent time firsthand with the refugees. I bow to you. I bow to you with all no, due respect. You know, honestly, what you've done, uh, and uh, Nival Garmu, and others, and others, and others. Many people in Michigan. You know, I, I forgive me if I'm forgetting names. I mean, definitely Omar and Nathan, and uh, with this effort, bringing attention to the matter. But you going to Iraq, you know, you and Nival, and uh, doing so much for the refugees firsthand. I mean, I was worried. Uh, I was worried. Well, you know, uh, Rafid, uh, what is uh, what is he leaving his family? But I found out the other day that you're not married. We gotta get you married, man. <laughs> okay, I think we're gonna end this segment. Sh- right now. Shemasha, we, uh, <laughs> we 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 actually gotta start wrapping up the show, but. We want to okay. truly thank you for taking the time to be on here. You did an excellent, excellent job of, of enlightening us. Uh, I mean, I can't really express how thankful I am personally uh, for you being on here. Like I said, it was a wonderful job. You did excellent. Thank you so much, Omar, for thank your you effort so and initiative and for the invitation. Thank you. God Deacon, bless you guys. Thank you, thank you so thank much. You. Deacon, Deacon, actually, I thank you, Nathan. Think... Keep up the good work. Deacon, actually, wonderful. I think I've been to your house once with, uh, with Rami and Firas. Once when we were in, once when we were in San Diego. Oh, you scared Nathan, me! I thought maybe Nathan, you were robbing him. Nathan, who, who, who's speaking? Nathan, Nathan is speaking. Nathan yeah, Kalashu? yeah, yeah. You know Rami and Firas Alosaji? I'm I'm the best man for Rami's wedding. <laughs> so, no way. Dr. Yeah, Dr. Riyad al Alosaji is my is my godfather. Right, He's my right. brother and my godfather, and this is such a great coincidence. God bless you. Just, Those are great guys. I love it. them. I just realized that right now we picked him up from your house. Uh, this was a, a few years ago. But, yeah. <laughs> that is, that is amazing. Thank amazing. you so much, Dean. Thank, Thank you. Okay, take care. Thank God you. bless you all. Bye-bye. God bless okay, you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So we need to update the people a little bit on what's going on with Help Iraq. Uh, there's a few things I want to update the people. One, mercy. We've opened two more clinics, one in Mengesh and the other one in Aradin. It's badly needed. I think right now, right now, the number one need out there is the medical need. Some of these clinics, now we have, I believe, 10 clinics. For example, the ones in Erbil, I've seen over 300 to 350 patients a day. And this is all... um, Thanks to Mercy and all the donors to Mercy because we do fund them to buy all the medication to see all these people. Uh, we work with everybody. Uh, we're not, you know, exclusive. Or, for example, in Duhok, we work with the Assyrian Church, Father Filippos, and his son, Father Iram. Uh, they opened. They started the clinic in their church with a little room, and now. Uh, I think they got a grant from the Kurdish government of $90,000 to expand on that because the need is so great. So we really appreciate your support. And you know what? Even as little as that uh, $20 a month, that program, 20 for Mercy, where we're asking 20 or more every month, um, if you're interested, please call our office, Adopt-A-Refugee, 248-406-2052. Also, uh, for TEACH, they have a big event coming up in May. Yeah, big event coming up in May May fifteenth. Um, it's it's uh, we're really expecting to draw a lot of people, a lot of support. It's called uh, a night between two, or I'm sorry, an evening between two rivers, and uh, we are asking the entire community to uh, to lend 
their time and their efforts towards it. Um, it's on May 15th at the Regency Manor. It's called The Night Between Two Rivers. We encourage people to donate items for the silent auction or any authentic art from villages in Iraq. Also encourage um, uh, any educator to join Teach. Also, there's another event, a young lady... Um, Stephan, uh, I'm sorry, Stephanie Maroki on the east side, uh, from the east side church. I think they're going to do it at St. Joseph. I got to find it here, Nathan. If you want to go ahead and uh, give I want to. Uh, there, there have I'll been a, back to there that. have been a few um, adjustments made to the HelpIraq.org website as well. So if we would like people's feedback on that, if they can, just uh, visit the website, give us some feedback on on what you think uh, should be featured on there. Uh, think that you know it's it's doing a solid enough job right now as well uh the the event that Rafid was talking about is called pictures for a purpose it is being uh it'll take place at saint joseph church sunday march 22nd um they are going to be offering headshots for everybody who is interested professional uh, headshots. professional headshots. they asked me to take yeah. the they asked me to take the pictures for that event. yeah right all, and uh, of course all proceeds will be donated to uh, helpyrock.org this is a great great event uh anybody needs a professional headshot i know i'm going to get it but i do encourage all the You're volunteers you're going to get a headshot stop i'm going to let me finish this uh this is really important i encourage all the volunteers whether you're pers- uh, mercy teach or anybody so we can put your pictures on our websites nathan please if you can promote it also this is a great cause it's only twenty dollars and i, I just promoted be, it right now no i mean you know through your school i or will whoever. i'll definitely okay do that. and then i will it'll be look for it on my page i'll be posting it uh, a couple of more times and uh-huh. you can pre-register uh, it's a it's a great way. I love how our young people are coming together to uh, promote this cause. Oh, you're uh, welcome. I'm going to look uh, for your headshot on your page, too. <laughs> uh, if anyone has not been keeping up with the news, uh, there have not been many changes. The, the hostages in northern Syria are still uh, being held by Daesh. There were reports that surfaced, um, and we had asked everybody on social media to not contribute to these articles or to not post them and this came directly from uh the clergy in in syria and the reason was because they were never confirmed these reports were never confirmed and um unfortunately there are people who do that for selfish reasons though yeah i was so so many people posted even even after i explicitly posted not you know that that we've been we've been ordered or we've been there have been requests made by the clergy to not post these these articles nonetheless nothing nothing has changed they're still negotiating to get these hostages freed um in terms of uh back home uh military operations are being conducted in Tikrit and Kirkuk and we're hoping at some point um you know they'll we'll start to see the uh, the liberation of Mosul and of course like always we ask that everybody continues to pray and offer humanitarian aid through through uh donations for our people. Also, I want to say, as many of you know, some of you might not, our diocese has donated $50,000 to the Assyrian Church of the East. In Syria. I, in Syria. Yeah. So, and I spoke to, personally to uh, Bishop uh, Marpolis Benjamin from, I think, Illinois. Yeah, Chicago. Very humble, beautiful man. So we did donate $50,000, and the Patriarch 
God bless him. And from the emergency fund, also donated another fifty thousand dollar to the Syrian right. uh, Syrians and, and what's going on. Right. So that, I that love it. Awesome. I love it when our people come together and they support each other. Right. I'm all about that. I'm really not into politics. Sometimes I do, whatever, we'll get into it, but I don't promote it. Well, but regarding, way, regarding uh, politics, there were a few testimonies given today. In Washington, one from Secretary Kerry and one from Ambassador Saperstein. I saw that. Uh, beautiful testimonies made by both. Accompanied with Mr. Saperstein was Bishop Cantu, who spoke uh, directly of the Chaldean Church. He's been in contact with Bishop Warda, and they're organizing th- uh, things through Caritas um, in Erdbeel right now. By the way, Caritas is the one who's going to be in charge instead of uh, the group that was created by the churches. Now Caritas has taken over that task yeah. to pass out items to the IDPs there, right. to the refugees, which is good, because our third container went, and I did not know that, so they, they're the ones in charge, so I have to contact them because there are certain things I need to let them know. And there is one more thing. Our container that we worked very hard um, from China just left today. I'll be posting about that hopefully tomorrow. Thank you to Jason Nager, uh, Carolyn Airfat for helping, and Mr. Young, who is uh, an associate of Jason Nager. We purchased, I believe, maybe 40,000 uh, women garments, bras and underwear. We're gonna, it's going to help about ten to 15,000 women. Each one is going to get maybe anywhere from three to five pieces. Wonderful. Brand new. And this is going to be coming from China, thanks to helpiraq.org. And there'll be some big news tomorrow in the European <laughs> Union Parliament. Uh, there is going to be uh, a resolution that's going to be discussed regarding visas for our people across the member states of the European Union, um, as well as safe haven and uh, uh, just a lot of, uh, this This has been a great week in terms of awareness for I our just, people. I just want to say something. We all need to come together. Enough of this bashing of the Patriarch, bashing of California, bashing of Mark Audible, bashing of that guy. I mean, you know what? Everybody's working hard. It depends it doesn't matter what their motives are. If they're helping our people, if they're doing good deeds, support them, man. Enough of this bashing. I'm getting tired of that. I am really. I'm getting tired of you. I know. Really much. getting tired of that. Seriously. Well, Rafid, we have one good thing to look forward to, and that's uh, your headshot. Can you see me here? Thank God, no. <laughs> uh, we want to. We're wrapping up the show. We want to thank everybody. Uh, Thank you again to Deacon uh, Rafis Hockey. You did a great job. I love did that, an excellent man. job. That was great. Uh, thank you, Nathan. Thank you, Rafid. Thank you, Steve. You're thank welcome. you, me. Thank you, Ashad, for shutting me down. I thought it was your show when he did that. You're always interrupting people anyway. I'm going to call his show next week and call some. My dad always puts you in check, especially. I don't know about that. Next week, I'm calling him his show. Watch what I'm going to do. Okay. God bless you guys next week.